You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 57 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, and we're all back together, Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. Uh, first time in a few weeks that we've all been back on the show, but we've still been grinding it out. To lots to talk about. I think this is our first show since the Leafs got underway. Uh, but first, let's check in with both of you guys. Alex, how's it going out your way? Uh, things are going good, man. I was... Uh at the Leafs game on Saturday night to celebrate my birthday. And I was uh, treated to a pretty solid game. Got to see Michael Bunting score his first in front of the hometown crowd, which was pretty awesome. Hey. Um, and uh, another funny story I got. Um, <laughs> so, so earlier tonight, I had a ball hockey game. You know, I t- typically have my ball hockey games on Sunday nights before the pod. And usually I, I, I come on and I have an update that we lost because our team's pretty shit. And tonight is no different. We, we took the L again tonight. Close game, 3-2. But I have come to realize this year how fucking serious people take ball hockey in Niagara. Oh, my God. It is like this. It, it, ball hockey is like a serious thing in Niagara. And I'm still relatively new to the area. So I get there and our game's like half an hour delayed because there's this tournament wrapping up right before we're supposed to take the, uh, take the floor, I guess, if you want to call it that. And it was ridiculous. Like there was a guy who got checked into the boards clean from behind, like as a, as not, not, I won't call it a redemption, like a revenge hit almost. Like there was, there was a bit of a scruffing going on in the boards. And then this guy comes in from behind checks them clean into the boards. Then they go back and they take a run at the other team's goalie. And there was like, there, like, there was like fights and they had to be pushed, like pulled apart and everything. And the other crazy part is that there were like 10 to 15 people sitting in the bar above. There's a bar at this ball hockey rink and there were 10 to 15 people sitting at the bar. And there were all these guys that were just absolutely hammered and they were yelling and yelling at the refs. And <laughs> I, I honestly felt like I was at like a junior hockey game or something like that, you know, where people take it really seriously. And it's like, yeah, it was just ridiculous. Like there were, it was a packed house full of fans. This was the finals of some tournament and Oh my God. I, I just couldn't get over how seriously everybody took it down there. There was like the, the bar was just going nuts. People were screaming, swearing and all this shit. It was, it was rock. It was wild. <laughs> All of a sudden, Alex starts, tape, starts taping his wrist, getting ready for his game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. the fans quickly cleared out after that game ended. So. I thought Beer League was bad. Holy Mackinac. Dude, it was – and get this. The funniest part is that the game that was on before ours was, like, the lowest division of men's competitive league. So, Jesus. like – it's it was just ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. And there was a guy that got kicked out of the game. The guy who laid down that big check into the wards. He got kicked out of the game, and he's just watching along the sidelines. He's banging on the grass and screaming at the other team's bench and shit. And I was just like, "This is ball hockey, man! Fucking ball hockey!" Like, you talking it. about ball hockey, man? Ball hockey <laughs> in Niagara. Like, it's just it's it's insane down here. I it's. I feel like it's kind of like to Niagara what the stampede is to Calgary. Just like fucking ridiculous. Anyways, that's my story for the night. Doing well. Well, shout out to Alex <laughs> for his birthday. That Jack Campbell jersey hanging in the back there. One yes. for one and oh, yeah. oh at, uh, at Leaf Games. With the Arenas jersey. I've got that in a pretty horrible spot. You can't even tell what the number is on my fucking camera. Whatever. That's, a, that's all right. P- Peter, <laughs> let's have to do some. 
Well, I was just going to say, I'm going to have to do some renovating before next time and get these jerseys <laughs> a little more in the picture. Uh, Peter, let's throw it over to you. How are you doing, yeah. bud? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, I think Alex F-Bomb's counter is at like 10 already. So if we're keeping track of that, um, I'm doing good, man. I'm um, still all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fire, man. Yeah. Um, I'm doing good. This past week has been very, I mean, it's ha- the Halloween season. I, you know me, Andrew. I'm into my horror movies. Uh, one of my favorite bands just dropped a new album that's based on horror movies again. Welcome to Horrorwood by Ice Nine Kills. Check it out. It's actually absolutely awesome. Killer track. A fun, fun fact. I have never, I mean... They've done um, Freddy Krueger, Friday the 13th, Halloween. They went full out with um, doing a song about child's play, doing a song about Pet Cemetery. Um, I believe the other one is Resident Evil, Rainy Days. This album is probably my best, my favorite one of the year so far. But yeah, it's just a whole Halloween season right now. It's always around the time where I'm watching the horror movies, listening to their albums. I, I, I don't know. I, like even this morning when I was writing a story, I was watching The Nightmare Before Christmas because, hey, why the hell not, you know? So that's me. I'm just in the holiday spirit right now. There you go. That's there the kind go. of holiday spirit we like to see, the Halloween. Not That's the, right. You know, that's right. People yeah. who bump Michael Buble like two months before Christmas. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I, I don't even – okay. I, like, my family is all Christmas-related, or we're all into the Christmas season. I'm pretty sure everyone is. Like, we go all out. But there is no way I'm touching anything Michael Buble with all the Christmas specials and stuff like that. It's just <laughs> the classic holiday shows for me, tunes, that's it. So I got two – I've got two – pretty good stories for you from this week uh one's first off my my son's picked up his first hockey stick so 17 months old book hey. he's got his hockey stick he's pushing the puck around see. with one hand so trying to work on you know the stick on the ice and and, and holding the, the stick with two hands but we're getting there um but also I, I wanted to say this was an interesting one for me because uh for those of you who don't know i i, I work uh i work as a manager at a, a big retail uh, warehouse. And, uh, I, I was at the doctors this week, just getting a few things checked out. And, um, as I was leaving, the doctor says, you know, thanks for everything that you do. And I kind of looked at him and I'm like, Holy fuck, man. Like, thanks for everything that you do. And he, (laughs) he, he kind of, he kind of reminded me that, yeah, yeah, but we don't have to ask people to put their masks on, on a daily Mm -hmm. and all this shit. Right. And so like, it, it was just an interesting moment for me because it was like, this is the first time that like a frontline healthcare worker kind of, you know, gave a shout out to like the retail workers as well, who are out there kind of, you know, dealing with all the, the, the fucking idiots out there. And, you know, it is what it is. We're, uh, we're four or 500 days into this and still we've got the, the COVID idiots out there. So. Um, Good news is those QR codes are rolling out. So that's right. One step, one step further, one step further. I'll tell you right now, Forbes, I would not have the patience to be working retail and talking to anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers and all those fuckheads out there. So from me, good, good. Thanks for doing what you do because you have patience that I don't have. I have to Mm -hmm. say the beauty about the, the, the company I work for is that they stand behind you. There is, there is no, um, what do they call it? Uh, I, I, no exemptions, no health exemptions in, in, in our warehouse you either have a face covering on or you're out and we can refuse service. So that's, that's the best part about the place I work. Um, and, uh, yeah, the patience is wearing thin with a lot of the employees. I'll tell you that right now. Um, 
but Kyle uh, Forbes over here. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? They, they, they call me up always. Cause I got, I've got the sleeve tattoo and I, I'm a little bit of a bigger guy. So they, they think like all of a sudden I, I'm this big, bad, scary guy, got the beard on and all this shit, but uh, you know, really I'm a teddy bear at heart guys. So um, you really are. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I do much to add, to add anything to it, but um, yeah. So that was my week in a nutshell. Um, but, uh, we have a lot to talk about when it comes to the hockey world. And, uh, we want to start off a little bit with, with some of the funner stuff that's going on. Um, obviously the Sabres knew damn well that this was going to be a rough season for them. So they like to lighten the mood a little bit and gave each player their own goal song. First off, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter about how every team needs to adopt this. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that first, Peter, but also I want to know, if you had a song, what would it be? Oh, man, I have a full playlist of, like, tunes that pumping me up. And, you know, every, like, I would always listen to it every single time. I would go to the rink just to get going, you know, get the energy flowing, get riled up. Um, I have so many. I mean, it, it's hard to just pick one. I, I, I mentioned – I asked this question on Twitter, too. Um, what would your pump-ups or your goal song be? I, I have three at the moment that I would like. One is Avenged Sevenfold's Nightmare. And there's this one specific part of the song where it says, I'm going to censor myself. It's your effing nightmare. I wanted to start right at that. As soon as I score a goal, I want that blaring across the stadium just to show them who's boss, you know? Um, the other one is Back for More by Five Finger Death Punch. That, that, that's a killer track for me. But also the buildup of Joyner Lucas's part in Lucky You with Eminem. So I think those three are at the forefront of my goal song because all three of them are just killer. They just go off and I absolutely love them. Alex, what about you? Do you think teams should adopt this, add a little bit more, I don't know, personality to the game? Um, and if so, what would your song be? I do think that they should do that because I think, it, it, like you said, it, it, it kind of showcases their personality a little bit more than it would if they're all playing under the same goal song. And let me clarify right off the hop, just because I have this take, it doesn't mean that I don't actually secretly love Hollow Notes as the Leaf School song. Like it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I part of me is like, you know, I, I, I almost wish that they had something like a little more fierce and a little more like, um, mm -hmm. you know, something to get the players fired up and everything like that. But then the other part of me is like, that's kind of part of the charm. So yeah. I always, every time I hear that song now, I associate it with Austin Matthews going top shelf in overtime. So it's like, you know what? I, I, I can handle this. Um, as for my pump up song or sorry, my goal song, I've kind of, I've got two, I would say holiday by green day would be a good one. I think the Nux mm -hmm. use that as their goal song, uh, the year of the Stanley cup run. And I, I love that. I like, I love that riff coming in right after the puck crosses the goal line and the, the goal horn blast and everything. And another one I would say is uh, Joker and the thief by wolf mother. I, I love mm. that tune. I actually, that one's even almost a little more better as like a, a warm up song. Like when you're running, running, <laughs> skating onto the ice, but uh, yeah, both of those songs are, uh, they get me both, both of them get me pretty fired up. So, and either of those and I'll be happy. So I'm going to kind of bail on this one. I mean, you guys are both more musically inclined than I am. I, I grew up on, you know, I was kind of jumping all over the place. So I had, uh, you know, going to bed with Tupac's uh, greatest hits rolling, and then I'd wake up to, you know, Dolly Parton and, and uh, some country and, you know, so Garth Brooks and, all that kind of shit right so <laughs> i i was all over the map when it came to music um so i'm gonna i'm gonna 
I will, I will answer this question. I'm going to answer it next pod though. Cause I need time to think about this one. Cause I don't really know okay. right now with a 17 month old, my, I think my pump up song would be the wheels on the bus. Cause that's what I hear every day. <laughs> I, I, I hear that not- every single day. At least it's not that stupid uh, baby shark song or whatever the hell it was. I was just about to say that. Yeah. We went through that I think phase. You, you, we went through oh, that Oh, you phase. went through it. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh I was yeah. Say, we went through I don't that know, phase. I was going to say, I don't know if that was a thing before you had your kid or if, if, you, if you missed the No, when it comes on, on it, he still you... goes like this beside his head. Oh. He still goes like this. It's, it is definitely a thing. He's got the bath toys for baby shark. It's, uh, it's definitely a thing. So, no, that is not my pump-up song. <laughs> I don't know what my pump-up song is right now because, uh, you know, I, I just, like I said, my mind's all over the map. And right now, all I hear is children's songs. So, uh, <laughs> and really, like, even when I put him down to bed, I'm singing hallelujah to him. So, um, oh, I, I don't go. think that'd be oh. the greatest, greatest goal song, but. I think hey. that'll be awesome. Hey, I it's mean, fun. You know, you're thinking of your kid. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say, I was going to say Oasis Wonderwall. Nice. Um, just cause classic. I love, I think it's a classic. I love that song. Yes. It was one of the first ones uh, I learned when I, I was taking up guitar and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm all over the map right now. Dude, hey. I'm just, I can't get the image out of my head of you just, lighting the lamp and in a crucial overtime game and just going down center ice on one knee doing the windmill with your arm with wheels on the bus blaring in the background <laughs> yeah no or kidding even dolly eh? parton for that matter yeah <laughs> oh god yeah no it'd be uh that'd be something that uh, that'd be probably better than the goal but uh yeah be a trip. top 10 sellies I'm kind of glad we're having this conversation because this is the, what we want. We want this more, this sort of excitement. Like the baseball, baseball players walk up to their tune with, with their walk-up song and everything like that. This is the hockey players version of the walk-up song, except, yeah. you know, you're seeing, like you said, Alex, you're seeing their personality. You're seeing who they are. You see what they listen to on a daily basis. And you, and you know what? Hey, you might uh, see it or listen to a new track. You never heard of it. And you know who it is and you want to, download it stream it whatever get that in your playlist you know mm-hmm. so it's great i want to see more of this so yeah. is math is matthew's goal song a bieber uh bieber tune or one what? million percent one million percent yeah i don't I would, even, I would, I would even stop think, to think about that yeah. i would even think mitch martin as long but see, see here's the thing boba shed's walk up but i don't even know what the song title is but it's that i got my peaches down in georgia or whatever mm-hmm. i could see both matthews and martyr scored a goal of that and that song's playing and i absolutely hate that song but hey could yeah, you whatever. imagine how angry the don cherry crowd would be if austin matthews scored a goal and all you heard was justin bieber blaring oh ballistic oh my ballistic. god baby 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 yeah especially if he goes for a classic <laughs> <laughs> not even new bieber like 2007 oh, bieber just like boyfriend you know yeah oh, absolutely unreal that was your boyfriend <laughs> Uh, we're right. going to turn this into a music yeah. podcast pretty soon, but, yeah. um, okay, boys, let's jump over to some, <laughs> some hockey talk here. Um, Peter, I know you were very vocal when it came to the NHL officiating, uh, in recent games. And oh, yeah. I know you guys talked about it on, uh, Leafs lounge for the hockey writers, but I want to get to it here as well, because there is, there was mentioned that there was going to be a crackdown on hooks and slashing and all that, you know, the same way that they kind of change the tune every off season, say, yeah, we're going to crack down on this. They were going to crack down on a few more stick infractions this season. Now, Alex, the NHL 
officiating in in the Leafs Ottawa game was kind of suspect. And Sheldon Keefe was very vocal about what his thoughts were following the game. I want to get your thoughts on on the matter um, because there was obviously some some interesting calls down the stretch. You know, I just don't understand why the refs can't just call the call the game by the rule book and not worry about stupid makeup calls and not like especially obviously in the playoffs. I know we saw it really bad, especially with the Edmonton Oilers and how Connor McDavid was. Uh, he was getting he didn't draw a single penalty. I think I think that's what Kevin said on Maple Leafs Lounge this morning. He didn't draw a single penalty throughout the. Mm-hmm throughout that first round um and you know i'll tell you right now at the game that i was at on saturday i think it was the penalty that pierre engball took for it's so bad i can't even remember what they called him for i think it was slashing and all he did was give i, I don't even remember who it was ennis maybe he gave ennis a little love tap on the stick and he got sent to the box for slashing and at that point i'm just thinking you know what like call a spade a spade and say that players are not allowed to touch other players or their sticks with their own sticks. Just do, just do that. Save us all the trouble because at this point it, there's, it, there's doesn't seem like there's any in between between blatantly obvious calls being missed or what shouldn't even be considered like a questionable call shouldn't be considered a penalty at all getting called for, I don't know, pull, pull a penalty out of your hat and, and call it that. So um, I could sit here and ramble about this for a while, but I just think it's ridiculous that they're, that they've got this stupid system going where they have to use these makeup calls and they have to, they have to call shit out and everything like, just come on, just call it by the rule book and save everyone the trouble. Peter, your thoughts on, on the officiating so far this season. Oh, where do I begin? <laughs> I mean, um, I, I mean, I'm glad Keith and Tavares said something because those are just awful calls. And I, with Keith saying that I kind of missed the memo uh, about, you know, stick lifts, you know, I know they were cracking down on the cross checks, but I guess may have missed, or he said he may have missed the memo on the stick lifts. And let's face it, lifting the stick is a big part of hockey. That's how you like get advantage, like create a turnover, get game possession and everything like that. Like we've all played the game. We've all st- lifted the stick. We've all got the puck off and we haven't got a call against us. Why is it happening at the highest level in the most, like in the league that everybody wants to play in? It's beyond me. And I'm just going to go through a number of calls. There was a trip on Justin Hall that was so blatant that they let it go. There was a high stick in Mitch, on Mitch Marner. There was a trip on Michael Bunting in front of the referees, mind you. Mm-hmm. They're literally right there. And they still have the whistle in their pockets, not doing anything, letting them play until they actually see something that's like, you know, okay, I guess I got to call it. Like, yeah give me a break. Like, come on, just like Alex said, call it, it call it like it, call it like it is. I can't even speak properly right now. <laughs> just amped. You're just I, amped. Yeah, I am. And you know what? It, it's, it's just so infuriating because a simple part of the game that's always normal is now being labeled as a penalty. Like I understand like the, the cross checks, how they want to try and get more calls with that because that was a big one. We see McDavid get cross checked a lot. We see Matthews get cross checked a lot. If there's like a, a more like it, like pronounced forward motion into the numbers, then they're going to call that. Okay, fine. Yeah. That was the main issue. Are stickless an issue? No. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I don't, I do, it's beyond me. I've, I've said it before. They need to do a whole like, 
tear down rebuild of the like whole officiating system or get referees who actually know what they're going to do because it's getting ridiculous right now that trip on bunting was even more egregious in person or the missed trip i guess on bunting was even yeah. more egregious in person than exactly. i imagine it was on tv like i couldn't believe it yeah oh, I, mean, I actually i actually laughed so hard that i fell off my bed like i'm like are you kidding me yeah, I, I, I think, well, I mean, I think I'm on the same page as both of you. We've seen, we've seen questionable officiating for, for seasons now, though. And it's, you know, we talk about this all the time. We talk about, you know, um, how there needs to be a, an overhaul, basically, of, of the officiating at the NHL level. And, and it seems like, you know, I, I remember, what was it, probably seven or eight years ago now that they put in, the uh, the obstruction hooking and the obstruction tripping and all that all that BS and what came of that not much I mean it lasted for a year and then all of a sudden you know those are right out the window um, the cross checking I get I understand because there is a lot of that going on in front of the net and that's that's stick to body that's a that's a completely different story you know give them one but once they start going two three four times and you know I'm going to mention it for the Habs fans that, that may listen to this podcast because I know they'll cry if I don't, but Gallagher takes a lot of heat in front of the net as well. Um, And he, he, you know, small guy takes a lot of, takes a beating and, and often not a lot of calls because of who he is, but also because it's, it's kind of an epidemic throughout the league. Um, As for the slashing, uh, you know, the slashing on the wrists, I get Johnny Goudreau, obviously, you know, a couple of years back went through the broken wrist uh, because of, you know, a little two hand to the, to the wrist, but the slashing on the stick, there used to be this common sense aspect to it where like, Hey, the stick explodes. Okay. It was hard enough to, to affect the game, um, to affect the player's ability to play the puck when you're, you know, lifting the stick or tapping the shaft of somebody's stick. That's not, that's called a stick check. It's called a stick check. We, you, you know, you see it in other games, you see it in lacrosse, you see it in hockey all the time. To, to call that a slash now, to, to put a man down, to potentially change the, the outcome of the game is just a complete fucking joke, um, especially when it's, you know, doesn't hamper hamper the player's ability to play the puck. I think that, that that's the main focus here is that, you know, if it doesn't change the outcome of the play, then how, how the hell are you calling a penalty on that? Um, I, I, I don't know. Like me personally, I've had an issue with the officiating for the officiating for a long time not just in Leaf games, but all across the board. I mean, yeah. we see it in the playoffs all the time. They let things go, and then game two comes around, they start calling everything that they let go in the first game. You know, the consistency is the biggest aspect here, and I think they need to really focus in and hone in on what's gone wrong in the, the teaching of the officials to where they are now at the NHL level. They can't make a fucking call worth, worth their lives, right? Like, yeah. it's just it, – it's – you know, it really is a shit storm out there now trying to guess at what's going to be called and what's not. Yeah. And it's I think all it's trickled like, down I, because of that damn Matt Duchesne offside. It's all trickled yeah. down from that to goaltending interference to cross-check slashes. It's all because of that. Yeah, I think it is important to mention that this is not just about Leaf games before anyone listens to this. And goes, yeah. oh, listen to these biased Leaf fans. Just, uh, they're blaming <laughs> the refs. They can't take their own losses. Like, no. We'll get to other instances in a bit, too. So Yeah, like, re- the reason we're talking about the Leaf games specifically is because those are the games we're watching. We know this happens around the league. Like, obviously, what was it? The Seattle Kraken had a goal, I think, called back about – 
for it was a for I didn't see the actual goal, but I know it was called back because there was a kicking motion. But then it actually shouldn't have been like they kind of got screwed out of a, screwed out of a call there. But then that Chris Tierney goal from Thursday night was a, the most blatant kicking motion I've ever seen, and they call that a goal. So there's just no consistency, and there hasn't been for the longest time. I will even throw in that goal against I think it was Pittsburgh and Florida where Aaron Eckblad ties the game up and there's a mad scramble in front of the net where Casey DeSmith can't even get back and make a save and they still allowed that goal I mean what's he what's he supposed to do yeah he's got like six or seven bodies in the crease looking for the puck it pops out the Eckblad and he scores it to me that should be a no goal but while we're while we're on do? the uh, while we're on the subject of of officiating and and the league's inability to remain consistent, I want to I want to jump over to uh, suspensions and and uh, fines that we've seen this week. Obviously, Gabriel Landeskog was suspended uh, for for his hit. Uh, Dylan Larkin was also suspended, and that's the one I kind of want to talk about a little bit here. But Rasmus Anderson from Calgary also fined five k. Um, I want to bring up the Larkin one because it was a retaliatory hit, obviously suckered uh, Matthew Joseph uh, as he skated by, but the hit that Joseph laid first, is that not where the officiating has gone wrong? Because to get to the point that there is a retaliatory reaction, let's call it, um, he, at that point is Larkin just saying, you know what? Screw it. They're not, they're not going to make the call. They're not going to get it right. I'm going to go out there and police for myself. And I think that's where we, we kind of get into this conversation, Peter. Yeah. And it, it seems like because the referees don't have the players back, they're going to say, Hey, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I don't care if I'm going to get a penalty. I don't care if I'm going to get suspended. If there is a bad hit, like we saw with Derek, because it, it, it was a dangerous hit. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Back to back towards him, pushes him into the boards, dangerous spot. He could have been injured, and he's already off to a really towards start in preseason. Coming back, has some difficulties, and now he seems to be on par with where he wants to be at. Based on if I was in his position, if I saw anything that happened like that, like where I struggled in the past, I'm coming back, I'm on the top of my game, and that happens to me, hell yeah, I'm going to retaliate back. I don't care. Maybe, maybe you should have done it a better way instead of just sucker punching the guy. But, you know, go up to him, give him a jab, say you didn't like it, and then drop the gloves. I mean, but this is where it's at right now. This is where the star players like Larkin on the Red Wings, like McDavid, like Matthews, could have thrown Caulfield, Suzuki, whatever star you have on your team. They're going to get, like, abused every single game with all these hits and all all this, um, you know, rough stuff. And the league is just going to turn a blind eye. They don't care for their stars. They don't care for their stars. Just like, you know, in the NBA, if there's a foul or something on LeBron James, um, I don't know, Russell Westbrook, all these star players in the league, they protect them because they're the star players. Why is it so hard to do the same here? Like, I I just don't get it. Yeah, Alex, I I brought this up because I think the league got it right with the Landeskog uh, hit. I I do think that was a blatant hit from behind. The Anderson one, I do like that it was a fine because I think, you know, there's a lot of people questioning whether he headbutted him. Um, You know, it was, if you slowed it down, you did see the hand in there first. So there was, you know, a little bit of mixed, mixed uh, or, or some questions surrounding that one. But the Larkin one, the reason I bring that one up is because there was that initial hit from Joseph. And for me, do you, 
like I take that into consideration and say, look, yeah, Larkin shouldn't have been, shouldn't have done what he did. Maybe we, maybe we find him in this instance and then move forward. I think the consistency starts from the top bottom, top down. It's a trickle down effect. We're not seeing at the NHL disciplinary uh, level. Why are we, why should we expect anything less at the officiating level? No, we shouldn't. And obviously the number one thing you can do there is just look at Tom Wilson and the fact that he's been suspended, what, like 14 times. Like you give a guy a joke of a suspension, he's just going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I will say that the Matthew Joseph hit absolutely should have been a suspension. Yeah, suspend Larkin, but suspend Joseph for at least like two or three games if you're going to give Larkin one for that. One thing I, I will say, I loved how after Larkin got hit, he was just ready to punch anybody. I don't know if you could see that in his eyes, but he got around. He, he, threw his, he threw his gloves off before he even had a dance partner. He was like, you know what? Fucking come at me right now. And he <laughs> yeah. obviously got Joseph with the sucker punch on the way by, and he ended up fighting – um, I can't remember who it was, uh, Jan Ruda maybe, or someone like that. I may have just pulled that player out of my ass, but I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, either way, I just love the fact that he, he was just, he was in fight mode immediately as that happened. And it, it was a joke of a hit and it should have been suspended for, or he should have been suspended for longer than one for longer than not having a suspension at all. And he should have been suspended longer than Larkin. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've obviously come to expect this kind of bullshit from the NHL when it comes to suspensions and officiating, because they, as people say, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. <laughs> so that's just, uh, it's just par for the course for them at this point. Yeah. Well put, uh, uh, to kind of jump off of that, the avalanche are also without Nathan McKinnon right now as he's going through COVID protocol. Uh, we don't need to get too much into that, but there are some good things from the NHL this week. And, uh, the Seattle Kraken got their first win as a franchise, obviously beating the Nashville Predators and the Predators responded by posting uh, a banner on obviously a fake banner on Twitter saying, you know, we, um, team that gave uh, the Kraken their first win or whatever. Um, thoughts on the Kraken thus far, Alex? Um, I haven't been able to watch too much of the Kraken games. I, I missed the first game, unfortunately. And then since then, I've been preoccupied with Leaf games. But um, I, I'm obviously happy to see them get their win there. And uh, one part about that, that win against Nashville that I want to point out is uh, I don't know if you guys saw the video that TSN posted of the Kraken fan and the Predators fan fist fighting in the stands. Yeah. Oh my so God. that was obvious. I had a good laugh at that, but mainly because of one of the comments that I saw. And it was like, you know, you have to expect these types of fights from fans that come from such a bitter rivalry, like Nashville and Seattle. <laughs> I had, a, I had a good laugh at that. And I also liked that the guy was wearing a Yanni Gourd jersey. And I'm just thinking, like, if you're not related to Yanni Gourd, like, if you're just getting into see it, like, are you just buying a player, a random player's jersey just for the, just for the fuck of it, basically? Like, I, I, I don't know. I thought it was funny that there, were already, there was already a jersey in the stands, and it was Yanni Gourd of all players. Like, I, I think if you're going to spend money on a jersey of a team that you just started following, maybe you'd go for, like, the captain, Mark Giordano, or you'd go for – well, who knows Leafs legend Jared McCann or something like that. But yeah, I had a good, uh, I, had, I had a good laugh at that fight. Hey, two, two time Stanley cup champion, two time Stanley oh, cup champion. That wasn't, yeah, that wasn't any disrespect to Yanni. <laughs> no, I just, no, no, I, no. I had a, I had a good laugh at that. So that, that, uh, that video that you're talking about the fight, there was you, if you watch it from the reverse angle, there was somebody filming it from behind and you see this guy, I put, I put on Twitter, I retweeted the, the reverse angle because there's this guy in a Corona shirt 
and you'll watch him come in and kind of defend the Seattle Kraken fan. Um, and you could see him locked and loaded. And I'm not, I'm not about fighting in the stands. I think it's complete like idiocy for people to, to throw down in the, in the stands, just enjoy the game, have your drinks, whatever, chirp each other, have fun, whatever. But he was locked and loaded and he waited and he waited and he waited. And then all of a sudden he saw his opportunity and he smoked the Nashville Predators fan right in the (laughs) face, square in the jaw and it knocked him down. And that's when tides turned in that fight. So if you get a chance watch it, but yeah, man, this guy was just waiting on it. Yeah, because the, well, the, because the video I'm talking about is that reverse angle video, but I didn't look for that punch from the guy in the Corona T-shirt. That's yeah. how I knew that. He, that's how I knew the Seattle guy was wearing a Yanni Gord jersey because I was watching it from behind. So, <laughs> uh, I'm. Um, I will say that the, the Kraken so far have have impressed me because I thought they were going to be an absolute um, just disaster in terms of. I, I didn't think the expansion draft went as well as it could have. Um, I will kind of jump forward here in saying that I do have a power rankings coming out at the hockey writers tomorrow. They are not in the bottom five for my, my power rankings. Mm-hmm. So with that, Peter, your thoughts on the, on the uh, Seattle Kraken thus far. Yeah. And I took a note of their resiliency against the Vegas golden Knights in their first game. I mean, yeah, they don't have the star power that Vegas sort of had or the big names that they had. They obviously you still have Giordano, um, you know, they have uh, Jamie Alexiak, they have Adam Larson. They got some great names on the back end and up front as well. But the fact that they're holding their own, whether it's a win or a loss, they're going to stay in it no matter what. And I think it's going to be comparable to like what the Ottawa Senators could be this year, where they have a lot of great depth, younger depth. They don't have, you know, the veterans like Seattle has. But they're going to hold tough and they're going to battle out. We've seen it this past week of what they can do. They're going to put teams on edge. They're going to give their best foot forward or put their best foot forward. And, you know, uh, Chris Tanev or Brandon Tanev is like leading the team in points right now. So you have all these unsung heroes or these names that didn't provide much of an impact offensively on their teams because they're in the bottom six role get more of an opportunity. They're starting to get that edge. They're starting to get that momentum going. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can do. It, they may not make the playoffs. They may not move further up in the standings, but they're going to be competitive. And that's the main thing that you want as a new organization to say that we're not going to be as easy as you may think we are. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think they, you know, I, I thought they were going to be, a bottom, a bottom feeding team, but it's kind of like this band of misfits 2.0. So we saw yeah. with the golden Knights, obviously they went to the Stanley cup final in their inaugural season. Now I don't think we're going to see that from Seattle, but it's still like all these guys kind of bonding over the fact that, you know, they were picked up by this new franchise. They find a way to get things done. And that's what I think is going to be so exciting about the Seattle franchise. It's going to draw people in right away. Obviously bums are in the seats like we saw, um, so it, it is very good for hockey. It's very good for the NHL. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch three players that re-upped with their teams over the last week. I want to talk about the Tichuk contract. I want to talk about the McAvoy contract. I want to talk about the Pollock contract. I also want to talk about the Ekholm contract because I don't think we talked about it last week and a super underrated defenseman for Nashville, uh, he signed a four-year contract worth $25 million. 
cap hit at 6.25. Uh, Brady Tuchuk signed a massive deal, seven years, 57.5 million. That's an 8.2. Uh, million per per season. Uh, Ryan Pollock, underrated defenseman in New York, signed an eight-year, forty-nine point two million dollar contract, and then Charlie McAvoy, eight years, seventy-six million. So, getting into those, Peter, I think the reason I want to talk about the defenseman big time is because Morgan Riley is a free agent following this season, and there's a lot of conversation that he will not be back in blue and white at the end of this year, and we're seeing that more and more with the way that these defensemen are signing contracts. First off, your thoughts on those four contracts, but also if you want to touch on Morgan Riley, is he back? Is he not? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, I mean, I love the Ekholm and Pollock contracts because those are two underrated defensemen, Brian Pollock especially, because he's got that puck moving ability, but he's very strong in his own end, given the fact that the Islanders play that defensive or defense first mentality. So the defense comes from the, or the offense comes from the defense with him. Same with Matthias Eckholm. I've always liked him and I've always had him as a trade target for the Maple Leafs, considering the fact that, you know, Nashville was in a rebuild stage or going to rebuild and he was on the market, try and get him. Um, if Morgan Riley is leaving, try and get him. So those are two really good, valuable contracts considering that, you know, middle of the pack defensemen that are like, you know, could put up 30, 40 points, 6 million. I, I think that's not a big deal. I think that's a really good value for them. Charlie McAvoy is a different story. I think he really hasn't scratched the surface offensively, but he's extremely valuable to the Bruins right now. And I, I, I'm just not a fan of him getting more than, you know, what Brad Marchand is worth, granted that his contract was already signed years before this one. Same with Pasternak. I think those guys are going to be looking for big paydays. Similar, maybe more than what McAvoy is making right now. But um, for a defenseman that makes 30 mil or that gets 30 points to get 9.5 million, if I had to compare contracts, I'd honestly take Charlie McAvoy's contract over Seth Jones because that is not looking pretty at all right now. Um, and hasn't even kicked in. Um, in regards to Riley right now, I'm hoping that he takes some sort of a discount because he has, he had a, he had the 70 point season, but has dropped in terms of his production a little bit. Defensive play came in is has been suspect um, dealt with that injury because he went from 72 to 27 and 35. Honestly, he's still good for at least 40, 50 points at least. And if I'm comparing that to anything, and I think he's looked a little bit improved in his own zone this year, early on three games, I think it's still great. If I'm looking at a contract right now, I'm looking at maybe just slightly higher than what Ekholm and Pollock are making right now. If they can get him at 6.5 on a six, seven year deal, I think that would be a huge win and that will, that will be ideal. If not, then they got to look somewhere else because I, I, I would not want to go higher than maybe seven with Morgan Riley at this point, even though he may feel like he deserves it compared to other defensive right now. It's kind of dicey. So Alex, the defense the defense market is is really changing. Uh, we saw it this offseason with Dougie Hamilton, Seth Jones, all those guys signing. We see it now with these guys signing. 
I want you to focus a little bit more on Charlie McAvoy being now the highest paid starting next season, the highest paid Boston Bruin um, in, a, in an organization where every player has taken, uh, I want to say a hometown discount, um, but more of a team discount. Um, and now he's, he's the, the top dog sitting at 9.5 million. I also want to ask you if you think Brady to Chuck deserved the money that he got seeing as he's only three seasons in and hasn't put up more than 45 points uh, to start his career. What are your thoughts on those two? Um, so McAvoy, I think he's sort of, I kind of get the vibe that he's one of those players who, you know, when the casual fan looks at his stat sheet and they see his offensive totals, they might think, okay, that's a little bit much like 9.5 for a guy who's, um, a guy who can only put up, you know, 30, 40 points in a season. That's a little much, but I feel like he's one of those players who means so much to the Bruins organization Mm -hmm. and maybe his players see a lot more of what he's capable of than what the fans do even like, especially fans like us that don't watch Bruins games all the time. Uh, He's obviously a great defenseman and I do like giving out a contract like that to your franchise defenseman, even if he's not necessarily, you know, going to light up the score sheet every night. If he's stable and he helps shape your identity and he contributes in multiple aspects of the ice and multiple aspects of the game, then yeah, I'd give him 9.5, especially seeing where the market's at. Like you said, Peter, the Seth Jones deal. I mean, obviously a three game sample size is a little, a little aggressive to judge someone off of, but at the same time, he has not looked good this season with Chicago. So um, obviously a little bit of a tough look there on, the topic of Brady Kachuk, I think that deal will end up being worth it, but the Sens better hope to God that Brady Kachuk develops a little more of an offensive side to his game. I mean, obviously you're getting a guy who can go out there and put his th- leave his heart and soul out on the ice every single time he takes it, and he can put up 40 to 50 points. That's great. Great for your top six second line. Um, but at the same time, if you're paying what is just over $8 million for a guy who can only put up 43 points in a season, that's, that's going to set an unfair bar for a lot of teams. And that's, I, I, that's an overpayment, I think. So I don't know. I think the deal is a little bit aggressive. I do love the fact that some markets are praising that deal. And those same markets are saying that William Nylander's overpaid. I think that's fucking comical, but you know, I just, I, I do think that's a little bit much. I don't think – I think it'll be worth it in the long run. Like I said, if Brady Kachuk develops an offensive side to his game and he, he's, he gets capable of, you know, putting up 60, 70 points in a season, at that point it'll be worth it. But right now, yeah, they better hope he develops that. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you on the uh, the Kachuk deal. Um, what's interesting is uh, his dad held out, his brother held out, and now – you know, Brady obviously held out to start the year, which was fortunate for, for the Leafs because they did get to miss him in two games. So that's that's a bonus for them. But um, I do agree that, you know, the, the dollar amount is a little bit big uh, based on what he's done so far. Um, that's not to say that he won't develop into that type of player, but, you know, he one, he kind of suffers from an aspect of being in, in the Ottawa market. Um Two, I think the big thing there is, uh, you know, obviously he hasn't had the the players to play around him either. Um, and, and I think that's hurt him in terms of his production and in terms of, you know, maybe what he 
what he could do potentially down the road. So for me, they better hope to hell that he will be able to put something together at some point uh, and really take a step forward. Um, as for the McAvoy deal, and I get it because to Chuck's the same way. He, he, he offers up those intangibles. Um, Charlie McAvoy is the same way. He offers up those intangibles. He plays away from the puck well. He plays defensively well. Obviously, the market for de- defensemen is, is really rapidly changing. But for me, it's, it's from a team aspect. 9.5 million when you have Patrice Bergeron, your captain, will be a free agent following this season. You have David Posternak, easily your your top scorer on the team, uh, you know, a free agent in two seasons. Um, you know, you have guys like Brad Marchant who bring so much to that team. Even if it is antics, he brings a lot to that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, he's a guy that's only making 6.1 uh, million. Uh, Taylor Hall making six million. Like you have some legitimate players making less money. And for me, like I wouldn't have been surprised if they gave him like you know seven five, maybe seven seven over that eight year span. I just felt like eight or sorry nine point five was a lot of money to to award a guy that you know still very early in his career. And I get it; they want to lock down their guys, but. I don't know. I just felt like it was an overpayment. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the at home deal, I love the at home deal. Uh, I, I like you, Peter. I think that it's, it's, you know, it's a solid deal um, for a guy that's really underrated and same with the Pollock deal. I mean, Lou's doing some great things in New York uh, and, and you know, 6.125 for a guy like Pollock uh, lock him up long-term and, and you know, get him for a solid dollar amount. Whereas, you know, we're, we're going to see the cap rise in a, in a few years, hopefully. And this is going to be an incredible deal and it takes him to, to, to the age of 35. So um, you've got him locked up for essentially the remainder of his career. And even then we all know that at the end of these long-term deals, they end up buying these guys out anyway. So you'll probably see that he's got a huge signing bonus and it'll be a cheaper buyout at the end of the season or sorry, the end of the contract. I think the main important thing is for the Kachuk and McAvoy deals, I think they're betting on what they can become. And I, I understand that. I think it's kind of similar to the Nick Suzuki thing or the Nick Suzuki contract, but his contract or Nick Suzuki and McAvoy, they haven't reached their ceiling yet. And they're going to get to that point. McAvoy could possibly be a Norris trophy caliber type defenseman. Nick Suzuki could possibly be a Selkie winning uh, centerman. You don't know exactly. And Alex touched on this too. You don't know exactly what Brady Kachuk is going to be yet. And I, I'm looking, or I even looked at the numbers comparing to his brother, Matthew. Matthew is only making $7 million. He's making less than his younger brother right now. And Matthew Kachuk had a 77-point season. I believe the year that was the year where he became a restricted free agent and then his new contract kicked in. Fair amount. I, I, I still love the $7 million deal. Then got 61 points after that. Obviously, the pandemic hit. Would have probably had more. Probably on, He was on pace for 66 or, I'm sorry, 72 still up uh, to manage or get that value 7 million 66 last season 66 points last season if he was on pace for 82 games that to me if i had to choose between which player i wanted to give 8.2 million as an aav to 
I would give that more to Matthew than I would Brady because you know what you're already getting with Matthew and his production. You don't know that exactly with Brady. And that's not to say that Brady can reach the 60 point mark. He definitely can. It's just, what have you done to show that? And maybe a bridge deal probably would have been better if the bridge was at maybe 4.2, 4.5, 5 million until you get to that point. So that, 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 that's another point that I brought up because the point value for both Matthew and Brady, it's way off and it's not even close for me at this point. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I, I, I'm not a guy that likes the, you know, betting on the future kind of deals. I don't, I don't like the, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, give him this contract in the hopes that he develops into an $8 million guy. For me, it's, you know, I, I've always loved the low dollar amount and, you know, multiple bonuses. So, Hey, you're going to hit the 20, 20 goal uh, plateau. Here's a bonus. You know, you're going to hit the hundred point plateau. Here's a, here's a bonus that to me, it's about, you know, your overall production. Um, you know, if you're a defenseman, Hey, you, you win this, you win this trophy, you're going to get a bonus. Yeah. Maybe sign him to 7 million and then offer him the bonus. The 9.5 for me, for McAvoy just doesn't make sense. And for Brady, uh, I, I'm, I'm, me personally, I don't like the contract for Ottawa. I think you've got a young squad. You're going to have a lot of contracts coming up in the next few years. And, uh, you know, if you're giving him, you know, the, the money that you're giving him right now, wait till, you know, guys like Tim Stutzler come up for their contract and you're going to be, mm-hmm. you're going to be offering him a hell of a lot more as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I, get, throw them into cap trouble. I love it. Uh, you know, they're not the least. So, um, you know, we have our own cap trouble as we saw the other night, but um, two, two final NHL notes before we jump over to our Maple Leaf talk. Um, Ovi fifth now on the all-time goal list, and he continues to run down the great one. Um, you know, it, it just like this guy doesn't stop. He passed Marcel Dion for fifth all time. Uh, he is eight back of tying Brett Hall for fourth all time and 33 back of Yarmer Yager for third all time. So, I mean, this is by the end of the season, this guy could potentially be in third all time on the goals list. Have we seen Ovechkin slow down at all? Or is this a guy that's like, essentially superhuman peter he's superhuman i mean there's no way around it i mean basically if you if you look at it this way our parents they got to witness wayne gresky set that mark during their days when watching him we're with fast forward to like 20 plus years later we're witnessing history in the making right now and we've talked about this on the pod before if he's going to break it or not i I'm just going to throw out this out. He's on. Okay. It's not going to happen. Like, let's be realistic. He already has five points already in two games, three goals. He's on pace for 193 goals. I mean, that's just the on pace numbers. I don't make it. I'm looking at hockey reference. It's not going to happen, but 30, 40, 50 goals is always possible when you're talking about Alex Ovechkin, even though he's 36, he is not going to slow down. And the fact that he can be third all time right now, he's definitely passing Brett Hall in the next month or two. And I honestly think that he will beat Yarmar Yager and he is going to be third. And to me, if he's third place right now, you already got to that point in one in year one of your new $9 million or $9.5 million contract, leaving you with, 
um let me just try and see a better view of this leaving you with five four more years left to break the mark i think he's going to do it there is no other way around it if you could get to third place at the end of your first year of your five-year contract the rest is going to be cakewalk i think he's going to be i think he's going to do it in 2024 25 so, Alex, we are, as Peter mentioned, witnessing history uh, in the way that Ovechkin plays the game. Two games played so far this season, three goals, five points. I mean, at 36 years old, he is superhuman. And even now, is it worth calling him possibly the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game solely based on the fact that the game has changed in a big way since Gretzky played? Is, you know, pads are bigger for goaltenders. Is Ovechkin the greatest goal, goal scorer that hockey's ever seen? I would say so, yeah, without mincing words. I mean, you said it just there. Hockey was different back in the 80s. And no disrespect to Wayne, he's the, arguably the greatest player of all time for a reason. And I think the thing that separates Wayne from Ovi is the fact that Wayne had a lot of other things besides his goal scoring going for him. He was obviously, like, he's the best, one of the best of all time. So he's got that going for him. <clears throat> Ovi, if you're speaking in terms of goal scoring strictly, he's got to be the best goal scorer of all time. And I find that what he does is sometimes he'll he'll have a season where he'll be a little bit off. And you might think, you know what, is Ovi starting to decline a little bit? He might go on a little bit of a cold streak. And right when you let your guard down, he'll pot five goals in a game or something like that. And he'll he'll catch you off guard. Or like he'll come back the next season and he'll score 50. And it's like, all right. So Alex Ovechkin still got it. And I am not going to believe that he won't have it until I see it. So, yeah, I mean, he signed this contract prior to the season, um, basically readying himself to break that record. He, he said it himself. I want, I want to, I want to break Gretzky's record. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with, with Peter. I think the way that he started the year, like this is, it's almost impossible for him not to, to reach Yager in third. And at that point, it's inevitable that one day he'll, he'll top that 894 for the all-time goal record. Um, but yeah, I mean, what he's doing is, is you know, we're, we're going to be talking about it for years to come. It could be a record that might become more unbreakable than we think because he is signed to that contract because of the, the, his innate ability to put the puck in the net and, you know, where it was known as Gretzky's office behind the net, Ovechkin's got his own office right on top of that circle on every power play. And that's, he has made a living off of that. And still to this day, 36 years old, he's been in the league for, for a number of years. And still to this day, goalies cannot, and defenses cannot shut him down from that spot. I think that's the part that amazes me the most. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm excited to, to witness history and, uh, you know, it, I think we're on pace for another 50 goal season for Ovechkin. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him break that, uh, break that mark again. Um, one last note, Jimmy Hayes, uh, we talked about this a few episodes ago. Uh, obviously he passed away at the age of 31. Um, the cause of death was released today, fentanyl and cocaine in his system, the Hayes family wanted to release that uh, that information because they hope that it will help others dealing with the same issues. Obviously, um, if if you read the article, um, 
Jimmy's dad, uh, Kevin, um, obviously mentioned that, uh, you know, he had been dealing with some injuries um, and one in particular that had him on painkillers. Um, obviously, you know, uh, the drug fentanyl has been running rampant through, uh, through you know, this, I guess, I, I want to say this world for, for the last little while. It's been in the news quite a bit lately. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is devastating in, in a sense, but uh, it, it's a it's it's a wake up call. It's a it's a realiza- realization that you know the drugs are out there. the The addiction is possible, and you're talking about some of the the most um, fit, most healthy people in the world when you're talking about professional athletes. And we, t- I, I forget if I was talking to you, Alex, or if I was talking to Peter, but we talked about how you know, the mental aspect of the game, they are always ready to go. They're always, the, the mental aspect is based on how resilient these people are. These athletes are, uh, no matter what, what sport you're talking about, no matter what game you're talking about, these, these athletes are, are paid to be resilient. And I think it was when we were talking about the Jonathan Drouin situation where he walked, he, he stepped away and, and, you know, had to deal with his mental health. We forget that these are human beings as well. And, Jimmy Hayes was a, he he is an example of how humans can go through stints where things are not okay. Athletes can go through things or stints where things are not okay. And even asking for help does not change that aspect and sometimes we need to realize the impact that the game has on these people that you know a simple injury and and it led to something far, far worse than what, you know, I, I know that far worse than I can imagine. Um, and, and I, you know, good on the Hayes family for releasing that information. Um, hopefully it does help somebody down the line. And even if it just saves one life, I mean, it, it changes that, that for everybody involved in that person's life. So I don't know if you guys have anything you wanted to add to that. Um, just, I, I do think it's, it's really important that they did share that information and uh, you know, very brave of them to, to come out and kind of, you know, share yeah. their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we did talk about that a couple of weeks ago, Forbes and um, you know, it's it just, it serves as a Testament, like you said about how, these athletes are always ready to go and they're always, you know, getting them into games, the number one priority. And it's scary when you consider the fact that Jimmy Hayes, like you said, the most healthy fit uh, athletes in the world. And there's, they're dealing with demons like this. And, you know, I think about somebody like Jimmy Hayes and the fact that he's been out of the league for a couple of years now, obviously if you follow him on social media, he, he appeared to have been doing great. He has that podcast going with Scotty Upshaw and Shane O'Brien. I Names escaping me right now. Uh, Missing curfew. That's what it's called. And you know, he was a big part of that show. Was a big part of his life. And he had a couple of young daughters. And everything seemed to be going so well for him. And the fact that his death just happened so suddenly like that, you gotta wonder how many NHL players, current or former, are dealing with something like that right now. And it's a it is a really scary thought because like like I was saying, Jimmy Hayes, obviously living every child's dream, and on the forefront, everything seems fine. He seems like he's thriving. He's married. He's got kids. He's got the podcast going. Everything seems like it's going great. And then just in the flick of a switch, his life is over just like that. And it not only shows how terrifying the whole 
um, fentanyl epidemic is in the sense that, you know, the tiniest microdose can kill somebody, but it just, it makes you wonder how many other people are going through this and to any athletes out there or anybody in general that's out there dealing with something like that and putting on a brave face for the camera and making sure that, you know, everything seems all right. I, I truly, truly hope you get out of it because it's terrifying to know that this is just happening right before our very eyes. And, and I won't say we're turning a blind eye to it because there was no way any of us would have known about it, obviously, but it's, it, it really is scary to think that a guy like Jimmy Hayes who had everything going for him was battling something like that. And it ultimately cost him his life. So rest in peace to Jimmy. And I'm glad that the Hayes family got that, got that uh, closure in the end. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And given the fact that we just talked about this, about what Robin Lehner came out with uh, in regards to like the player's well-being and, you know, them being prescribed prescription uh, pills to try and help with the pain, sleep and everything like that. If this doesn't serve as like an eye-opening experience for everybody, I don't know what will, because th- this was really tragic. And to hear the fact that it was an overdose and, something stuck out with me with his father. He said it was important to share his son's story. And this is from uh, a post from Emily Kaplan about the Boston Globe story um, saying that he did this or they wanted to share the story so that he wouldn't be stigmatized as a junkie. And you are going to people, you're going to see people that say, Oh, you know, he overdosed because he was a junkie and stuff like that. And, you know, just because you're involved with something like this doesn't necessarily mean that you're a junkie. it's something more serious. It's all about dealing with the mental health and everything like that. It all comes full circle. And it's, it's just so heartbreaking to hear story after story like this, because you hear stories of so many good people losing their lives to this battle, to this pandemic that was sort of before the pandemic kind of thing, right? This has been ongoing for years. And how many more lives are we going to lose because of this, because of the fact that, you know, People maybe are scared to get the help, but you know what? You have a support system. Just know that people care about you, that, you know, there is light at the end of this dark tunnel and it can always help you out for the better. And like you said, Alex, um, rest in peace to Jimmy. And the fact that they brought this story to light shows that, you know, it, it took a lot of strength and courage. And I'm glad that they're sharing it because this is very, very important right now. Yeah. From, from Emily's, uh, article over at ESPN, uh, a quote from obviously Kevin Hayes. I hope getting Jimmy's story out there can save someone's life. If this can save someone from the pain, great. It's just so sad. I pride myself on being pretty mentally strong. I'm a street guy, but there's just no formula for this. You have a beautiful all American boy who made a terrible mistake and it cost him his life. So just, I mean, I think we kind of touched on everything there. I mean, obviously, you know, there are people struggling out there and, and look for the help because it, it, it is okay to not be okay. It's just yeah. to have the conversation, have the conversation because that's things can change for you so quickly. If you have the conversation and people understand what you're going through, mental health is, is such a rampant um, topic of conversation right now. And, and, you know, to, to, to see somebody, you know, and I have to say, I was listening to uh, Ryan Whitney talk about it on, on Chicklets and obviously they were close friends and he got pretty emotional and he was talking about, you know, how there was a, a video of, of uh, 
Jimmy playing with one of his uh, one of his kids just four days prior to him passing away, and uh, I was making breakfast for my my seventeen month old, and uh, I looked over at Oakley, and it, it brought it brought tears to my eyes because I just I couldn't imagine uh, having my son grow up and and not know me, and uh, you know it just it's uh, it, it it really is devastating. So uh, to the Hayes family again. Thank you for sharing your story and uh, to Jimmy, rest in peace. Um, hopefully uh, you're getting another shift up there. Um, Marley's talk real quick. First off, I want to talk about uh, the AHL. Katie Gay became the first female referee of an AHL game. Um, kudos to her breaking ceilings. Uh, you know, this is, this is what it's all about. Uh, we talk all the time about hockey culture and how it can be so devastating to, to those that are not included. Um, and, and here we are seeing, you know, women constantly breaking barriers and, and really amplifying the conversation in the game. So uh, kudos to her to get, for getting in there. I do also want to mention the Premier Hockey Federation. I still don't like that, that name, but the Premier Hockey Federation, formerly known as the National Women's Hockey League, announced an update to their policy governing participation for transgender non-binary athletes um, that will be updated and effective immediately for the 2021-22 season. Um, Transgender and non-binary athletes deserve equal opportunity to compete in the Premier Hockey Federation, said uh, the PHF Commissioner Tyler Tominia. and we embrace our power and responsibility as leaders to make progressive change. So they've updated their, their policy, obviously going to be allowing uh, non-binary and transgender uh, players to join their organizations. Um, again, a big step in the right direction for the game of hockey. Uh, before we get to Leafs, Josh Hosang, Nick Robertson, who wants to take this one? Alex, let's throw it over to you. Josh Hosang is going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf by mid-November. I love it. I That's love it. Say, hot take, you baby. Know, hot take. I, I, I saw <laughs> I saw and you know what? It's it's awful that Nick Robertson was injured today. I'm gonna yeah. get that out of the way right right there. It was it's it's horrible to see that because you know those two looked like they had some unbelievable chemistry together. But I just going back to Hosang, I just want to say when I watched him do that toe drag and put it top left turn around and go on one knee and do like seven fist pumps in a row. He was fired up. You can tell that he loves being in this organization. And, you know, I I think he's going to prove to the AHL that he's a rock star sooner rather than later. And I think when, you know, especially if this injury keeps Robertson out for a, for a prolonged period of time, I think as soon as the Leafs have an injury up front, I think Hosang's going to be the first guy to get a call. And I can't wait to see it that when that happens because i do think that this kid has a lot of skill to burn like i call him a kid but he's like four years older than me <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of skill to burn and i think he's gonna fit in great with keith's system so i i truly can't wait for that when it happens it's good on him to the other kid on the podcast uh peter what are your thoughts on hosang and uh and the robertson injury obviously happening today he's got a beard now he's not a kid anymore yeah <laughs> Uh, no, no, no longer the kid, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you really can't say anything. I mean, what negatives can you say about Hosang's game right now? You really can't. I mean, the, the fact that I, the only reason why he's starting off in the AHL right now, I think is they still have a place. The Maple Leafs think that they still have a place for him in the NHL and whether it's with the Maple Leafs or somewhere else, 
it's going to be the Galchenyuk 2.0 reclamation project. But I think right now, Hosang was is miles ahead of that trajectory or that program for the rebuilding process because of the fact that he still was playing hockey, he's still getting his ice time, granted in different leagues. It's just the Islanders wouldn't give him that chance. I think the Maple Leafs instilled that confidence in him that he is that he has that chip on his shoulder right now to, to prove everyone in the Islanders organization wrong that, you know, just give me that opportunity and I'm going to make it worth your while. The fact that he scored two really beautiful goals and you see the emotion on his face that, you know, he loves it. Whether it's, at, we heard him say, whether it's like, you know, being an equipment manager in the ECHL or AHL, whatever, he wants to be a part of this organization. But seeing those goals and seeing his, his emotion, like Alex, I, 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 he, if you're looking for a call-up, you got to thank him. I mean, he's at the front of the roster or at the top of the list. Maybe the only other one that could probably challenge is Kirill Semyonov if you're looking for a centerman. But if you're looking for a winger, there, there's no doubt. And for Nick Robertson, I mean, that, that talk about really bad luck. I mean, second time in two years where in like, granted, it wasn't the first game this time around, but early on in the season, again, he sustains an injury and it's just so frustrating because we know his ceiling, we know his potential. And I, I said that, you know, getting sent down is going to be a fire under him. It's going to light a fire in him to be more motivated and tear up the AHL. When he comes back, I think that fire is going to grow even more. He already had that burning passion inside that he's going to show, he's going to work on everything to prove that he's worth it in this organization. When he comes back from this injury, I think he's going to pop off. I mean, the, 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 you could tell that he ha- he doesn't take no for an answer. And because of, he's sustaining this injury, he's going to be out some time. When he comes back, he's going to be like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I think the shitty part for Robertson is that it's like every time you get injured, you're, you're fighting your way back. And not not mm-hmm. necessarily to get into the into the lineup, but – um, just in terms of getting your legs back under your uh, under you, getting your cardio back on track, um, it, it, it sucks. And especially because it is a leg injury, from what from what I'm assuming, uh, seeing the video, um, you know, it it just it's one of those things where it's like, man, this guy can literally not catch a break. Um, but you know, as for Hosang, the the one guy I see the Leafs possibly you know, maybe, maybe kind of moving on from his Amadio. I just haven't really been too pleased with the way that he's played through the first three yeah. games. Again, it's a, it's an early sample size. He's, he's, you know, he's one of your bottom six, so you can give him a little bit more time to maybe develop, uh, develop some kind of chemistry with that lineup. But uh, for me, he's been very invisible through the first three games and he could be a guy that maybe you see, you know, out of the lineup at some point and bring a guy like Josh Hosang up to the, uh, the roster if cap constraints allow for it. Um, speaking of the cap constraints, the Toronto Maple Leafs, let's first talk about the goaltending issue. Obviously, Mrazek out with a groin injury. Um, could be 14. They're saying 14 days, I believe. Uh, that he he will be out. So Michael Hutchinson's been Hutchinson's been called up on an emergency basis, but before that, they brought in a college kid to live out his dream of playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, a lot of people were not necessarily happy about this. Uh, some even saying, uh, and I 
I hate to quote Steve Simmons on this show, but um, some even saying that it's an embarrassment to the, the organization and to the NHL itself that they have to have this type of goaltending because of the hard cap. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? This is a textbook example of a story getting completely blown out of proportion because it's in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Colorado had to deal with that same cap bullshit the other day. They only dressed 11 forwards in their game because of the cap. And it's like, yes, sure. If you know what, if Jack Campbell went out there and he had a bad game or he got injured, it would have been a bad look on Kyle Dubas. I won't disagree with that, but people act like it was, it happened for any other reason besides the fact that they didn't know what Mrazek's injury status was and thus they couldn't put him on the injured reserve just yet. So it's one, it, it was literally for one game. Michael Hutchinson is on the ice practicing today. I'm pretty sure. Or sorry, not, not, they didn't have a practice today. He will be on the ice tomorrow when ahead of the Leafs game against the Rangers. And you know, it's just, I, I, I don't understand it, man. I mean, like, I just totally lost my train of thought there for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> but seriously, like, it, you know, it, this is a textbook example. No one's talking about Colorado's cap constraints because they're in Colorado, but because it's in Toronto, it's all of a sudden this big issue. And, you know, it, it, it's just, it, we, we've moved past it at this point. So they went with the emergency backup for one game. Michael Hutchinson's back. And it, I, I just have a hard time believing that this situation would have been altered in any way if William Nylander got 5.5 million instead of 9 or 6.9, <laughs> or if Mitch Marner got 9 million instead of 10.6. It's like, stop throwing everything back to the big four and Kyle Dubas's contracts and him paying his stars because they don't have anything to do with each other. Sure. There's a lot of factors that go into making the cap. And while yes, the stars are part of it. <sighs> Like, come on. It's just, let's give it a rest. Like, it happened. It was for one game. Doesn't matter. Peter, you have anything to add to that? For the viewers out there, we're, because we're doing this on Zoom, Andrew just did the whole Willy Wonka thing, like, oh, really? Do tell kind of thing. So, um, sorry, just got to throw back. Because no, I, can always, side. I, I can always tell when Alex is getting amped, and I love it. I love, I love <laughs> the, uh, the little TED Talks that he throws out there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Steve Simmons could have wrote something, you know, positive about the fact that, you know, nope. Alex Bishop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm just gonna stop right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, given the fact that th there was something in the cap where they couldn't call up a goalie because it was so close to game time, like, or something like that. There was something in the cap where they couldn't do it, so they signed him to an emergency basis. Let him play the game. He's going out, living his dream. Granted, he didn't play any time. It was still a heartfelt moment. The fact that they also had to deal with Justin Hall dealing with cold leg symptoms, he wasn't available. What are you going to do? You're not going to send Timothy Lilligren down just to bring up a backup goalie for the time being when you actually need more of a defenseman than you do a backup goalie in this situation. And for the most part, Lilligren in that top four looked absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but I'm writing something about how he can replace Justin Hall. And I do think that this opens up a door for Lilligren. He showed what he can do. He showed it in camp. This was perfect for him. Perfect timing. Um, the fact that it's, you know, yeah, it, it, you guys said it best. It was blown out of proportion. I mean, it, like, come on. It happened. Yeah. Is it, is it not ideal? Absolutely. But let's face it. 
it's early on in the season. Other teams are dealing with some issues as well, like Colorado and their situation. You know what? Whatever. It's done. It's over with. Maybe just instead of doing something how the whole entire situation was handled as a joke, it was a last minute thing and it was all planned together. I remember I, w- I actually went out shopping to a mall and I saw on my phone of everything that was unfolding. So I'm glued to it at like 11 o'clock in the morning and I'm like, okay, how is this going to unfold? What's going to happen in the next few hours? How, how are they going to plan it out? And to be perfectly honest, I think they handled it perfectly. Yeah, I think the the shittiest part about this whole thing is that Alex Bishop, who's obviously the goaltender at uh, U of T, um, when he looks back on this, I mean, this for him is a moment that like he'll never he'll tell everybody about, and you know he'll never forget it. And now he's got to look back if he like let's go ten years down the road and he looks up, you know, the the night he dressed for the the Maple Leafs, and all of a sudden Steve Simmons fucking story pops up, and it's like, yeah, what a what a joke, and and like way to shit on a kid's dreams. Like that, that that's the way I look at it is like Steve Simmons is like the shit that lands on everybody's dreams. So, you know, when you like, I, I dreamt of being like a, a hockey player and all of a sudden, like you realize that, you know, your dreams aren't coming true. That's Steve Simmons. That, that, that to me is Steve Simmons. Um, so, uh, you know, good for him for getting an opportunity to, to, to jump in there. And what I loved the most was that, you know, he uh, Chris Johnson tweeted out that he was going to be wearing number 70 and David Ayers replied to the tweet saying they should have put him in lucky number 90. Just kind of like a troll job <laughs> and like a bit of a like trip down memory lane all in one. So thanks, David Ayers, for the reminder that we lost to a Zamboni driver. <laughs> was anyone else hoping that maybe they would have just started him just to have that feel good story that if he does win, it kind of takes a sting out of the Zamboni loss? Now, what if they had, what if they called up David Ayers and started David Ayers? Now that would have been a storyline. That definitely would you know, have been a storyline. You know, if this line. was if this was like game eighty two, I would have been all in favor of them starting. Um, yeah, Alex Bishop yeah. for the game. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. With all this kind of wrapped up in in you know the Twitter first getting all crazy for this Alex Bishop news. Peter, one thing you put on our notes here getting ready for the show is the pulse of Leafs Nation. And, you know, we do have to kind of check in with Leafs Nation and and make sure that everyone's breathing, everyone's okay, because it's like one loss in three games and everyone's freaking out. And it's one loss to a very pesky Sens team. Like, this is not a, the the sense team of two years ago. This is this is a mm-hmm. team that is, you know, better developed. A lot of young young players. Alex Formanton's in the lineup. Um, yeah, they didn't have to chuck, but Tim Stutzla's there. Uh, Thomas Shabbat's there. Um, you know, they, they've got a lot of and and Anton Forsberg's playing out of his fucking mind. Like this yeah. guy's unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, Alex, like. Sh- should we be worried about Leafs Nation okay. rather than the team itself? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yes, First you got him going. Yes, I got a. Yeah, you, you said you liked my little TED talks a couple minutes ago, Forbesy. Well, I'm, you're getting another one right now. This isn't gonna. This isn't just gonna be a TED talk. This is gonna be a full-on Theodore talk. That's how long it's gonna be. All right. So, I I tweeted about this the other day. And it's, it, it's just part of me missed the chaos because I love the fact that, and I, I say after two games, because this is kind of when I absorbed this and it was right after the loss. So obviously that's when Twitter was up in flames, but um, 
Twitter, at least Twitter specifically, is in a, ba- a battle right now between two sides. There's the sides that were like hitting the panic button. They're like, oh shit, like we have not played great over these first few games. We got to do everything. Trade Nylander, trade Marner, trade whoever the fuck, fire whoever, anything, all that. And then there's the side that's like, no, everything's fine, man. Like, don't worry about it. Like, it's game three or game two or whatever. Like, it, we're, we're all good. There's 80 games to go. It's a long road. We're, we're fine. And here's my take. It is, if you're listening right now and you're wondering which stance to take on this matter, it is perfectly okay to recognize that your team has flaws and criticize them game by game and tweet your knee-jerk irrational reactions. I know that I've done the same thing. It happens. While also understanding that it's an 82-game season. Where's the fun in being a hockey fan if you can't criticize your own team, right? And it's like, there's bad on both sides because I can't stand the fans who are turning a blind eye to some of the bullshit that we saw in those first three games that trickle back to last year's playoffs and even beyond the playoffs last year. And, you know, they'll they'll say, and I I don't want to, get too deep on this topic but like say for example mitch martin there are a couple fans that are like oh it's okay mitch isn't he hasn't done much over the first few games and but that's fine like we're only three games into the season it's like okay fair you don't want to judge mitch marner's play through three games and act like he's going to be like that all year but at the same time they're valid criticisms because they're not new these are the same criticisms from game one of the and on of the playoffs last year so you know it, it, it it's there's like I said, there's bad on both sides, and it's just like I, I think it's okay to do both. You can recognize it's a long season. I think that we all know the Leafs have the talent to make the playoffs in this division, and we know that. You know, I, I saw a tweet the other day that summed it up perfectly. They said, you know, the Leafs can't redeem themselves until they win a playoff round, but at the same time, it would be nice to see some of that hard work and all the quotes from the summer saying about how they're going to come out ready and come out flying and stuff. And I like how I'm saying all this when they're two and one on the season, like they're literally one, two out of three (laughs) games, but the tweet was referencing the Ottawa game and and that made sense. And it's like, yes, that's true. It would be nice to see them come out and leave it all on the ice after a summer of absorbing all the all or nothing shit and all the stuff from the media and all the trade so-and-so pieces and stuff like that. So to close it all off, it's okay to do both. You can be worried about certain things. You can have criticisms about your team, but also relax. 79 games left. I I love it. I love it. I am going to say though, the way I look at it is yes, you can be both sides of that argument. Um, I do think the ones that are overreacting are the same ones that we saw burn their fucking jerseys uh, after we yep. lost in the first round. So they obviously went back to sport check, bought themselves a, a, a fake jersey and decided, you know what, I'm jumping back on. But those are the same ones reacting right now on social media. For me, this is a different team from last season. This is, And I'm not saying that this is a better team from last season. I'm saying this, this team has a lot of new names, a lot of new faces, and chemistry has to be built. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, you talk about, you know, a Seattle franchise where it's all players playing with each other for the first time. Chemistry has to be built for them to be a legitimate team. Um, Toronto, they're missing their star player right now. That's a big blow. They're, they're relying on a guy who started his first ever season opener um, 
this season with the Leafs in Jack Campbell. That's that's new for him. Uh, Peter Morozik's a new guy that they're suddenly playing in front of. The, the, the new faces throughout the lineup, they're getting used to a new system. Um, to, to look at them and say, you know what, you guys lost one game and suddenly, you know, blow a fucking hole in your shorts because you're getting all worked up. I mean, it, it, it really doesn't make f- sense. And now, now this is, this is an experienced Leaf fan talking from years of heartbreak. So, you know, I'm kind of going and expecting the worst and hoping for the best, but at the same time, they can't redeem themselves until they make the playoffs. It's not about redeeming themselves once they get past the first round. They cannot redeem themselves until they make the playoffs. So forget the the one loss. Look at the two and one record and walk away saying, you know what? We're above 500. We're within in the first three games of an 82 game schedule. We are looking decent. That's what that's what Leafs Nation needs to 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 look at, and you'll you'll suddenly feel that pulse kind of trickle back down to normalcy. Uh, but Peter, you're the one who kind of coined the, the the term "check the pulse" on Leafs Nation. So, what are your thoughts on on what we're seeing from the uh, Twitterverse so far this year? Yeah, you mentioned the team itself and how it looks completely different. And I think maybe now that they have found their true identity. And it, it all stemmed from the be- from the onset of training camp and the preseason where they were very quick. They were very in your face. They were playing a more complete game than what we've seen in the past. And even though we said that in the past, we're seeing more consistency. Granted, we didn't see that in the first 10 minutes against Montreal. We didn't see that until halfway through the second in the third period against Ottawa. Yes. They, some blips got the got a really good win in game one game two was on a back-to-back you could try and use that that maybe they were still feeling the effects of the game one fans back in the stadium you know you could tell that emotions were running high and you could tell that they were a bit nervous in their play early on you fast forward to the game against the second game against Ottawa looked much better looked much more coordinated they had a lot going for them and like Alex said you can critique the team in a loss or in a win and find pros and cons and still have a positive outlook. Like what we, what what we're trying to do right now to say that, Oh my God, they can't even beat the Ottawa senators on a back-to-back night. Mitch Marner, even though he had like five great chances, he can't bury one. John Tavares getting paid 11 million to do this and that, like, give me a break. Come on. Like, you don't, these are star players for a reason. They're going to bounce back. They're going to do their thing. Relax. And I'm just going to say this, and I I hate to bring up the Habs fans right now or the Habs in general. I would rather lose to the Ottawa Senators than losing 5 1 to the Buffalo Sabres, where that organization is, no offense, completely in shambles right now. And they got a lot more problems than what the Maple Leafs are having right now. And they're coming off of run to the Stanley cup playoff or the Stanley cup final. So pick your poison here. I mean, yeah, the losses against Ottawa sucked, but at the same time, you know what? It's still early on. If this was happening, like the six, seven game losing streak that they had with Mike Babcock two years ago, that forced Sheldon keeps to come in then that'll be a cause for concern because you're at that point right now where you're a month and a half into this season and you're starting to get a gauge of who's going to be a contender and what's going to happen afterwards. 
the fact that they made that change then and they nipped it right in the butt at that point says that okay we caught we we basically cauterized the issue let's move forward right now three games in the season and even though like we're writing stuff and articles and stuff like that it's a small sample you're taking positives and everything with a grain of salt but you can't help but feel like hey build on this and good things are going to happen so yeah take a step back evaluate where we're at three games in focus on the positives not so much on the negatives i mean granted you've got to focus on both but you know what have some fun with it it's only the first three games once we get to that november december mark then you can have more of an opinion and a judgment on what's going to happen and whether this team is for real or not yeah shout out to uh habs fans and the folks over at habs unfiltered for their own three start on the season um uh, but uh, <laughs> oh, no they're gonna i love that i think the silver lining here for me is like look at the depth that we've had for scoring in the first three games john Tavares doesn't have a goal okay mm-hmm. mitch martyr doesn't have a goal uh austin matthews not even in the lineup what a um, bust doesn't have a goal yet what a trade what a bust um but i mean you talk about the guys that do have points there are six players on the Leafs right now with two or more points through the first three games rasmus sandine being one morgan riley michael bunting alex kerfoot jason spezza and then the always hated william nylander and i want to get into william nylander because four points in three games two goals I mean, this kid has played an unreal few games here. And my question, I guess, is with the absence of Matthews, with Marner, obviously, I'm going to say struggling to start the year, but I, I, it's not even struggling. It's just trying to find his footing um, after what was obviously a rough offseason. Um, now you've got William Nylander really stepping up. And he's a guy that dealt with a lot of shit going into the season because of the COVID and, and his vaccination situation. He's a guy who's dealt with a lot of shit in Toronto for the last, I don't know how many years. Is he suddenly taking on a leadership role in this organization? Peter, I'm going to throw it to you first. Yeah, you mentioned how everyone was jumping on the fact that his vaccination status or whatever. There was something that he was dealing with health-wise, so he had one shot and it was delayed to second dose. So that's why he couldn't go to the... Uh, trip where they're practicing at a different arena because they needed to be fully vaxxed. That I wasn't aware of. I thought he may have had a second shot already and just needed it to get in the system. But um, when we found out about his vaccination progress and everything like that, everything came to light. So it's not that he wasn't trying to do like, he wasn't saying, oh, I'm not going to get vaccinated. He was. It's just something happened that impeded him from getting it the first time. But the, the fact that he was vaccinated, the whole team's vaccinated, it's perfect. Um, I do want to say that we've seen what Nylander or William Nylander is capable of in the past with his shot, with his passing. I think right now he's emerging as the leader or another leader of this team that you expected to be a part of this core, like a Matthews, like people aren't going to like this, but like a Marner, Tavares, Riley, Spezza. He's now joining a strong group right now and we're seeing that with his emotion with the fact that he's getting more ice time power play penalty kill of all things something that we never would have expected in the past but Sheldon Keith is giving him the responsibility to kill the or to kill a penalty to get the puck down and do what he needs to do we're seeing a leader right now we're not just seeing 
a player who's just offensively driven. He's capable of playing on both sides of the puck right now. We're seeing that with an improved play in his own end. We're seeing him more engaged in battles along the board, getting in there. Um, There were a couple of times where he threw a hit in the preseason and it caught everyone off guard. Like, man, I love this William Nylander. This is, we talked about like McAvoy, Kachuk, and um, uh, I'm just going to leave it at those two. And even Nick Suzuki reaching their potential right now. Yeah, it took a long time, but we're seeing a more complete package, William Nylander. And this is his ceiling. This is the pinnacle. This is the top that we wanted to see him at because he's playing at his best right now. And with Matthews coming back, the fact that he has a really great chemistry with John Tavares right now, playing alongside him last season and seeing what happened to him, I think that ignited a fire in him. Seeing him go down, seeing him take over the playoffs as the offensive guy to continue that trend into the season right now where once Matthews comes back, he's going to be back with John Tavares. They're going to get that instant chemistry that they had last season. This is going to be really great for him, and I'm really excited to see what he can do from here on out. So, Alex... 59 points in 68 games in 2019-20, 42 points in 51 games in 22 or 2021. Two of his best offensive seasons based on point per game. Um, right now he's on pace for 109 points. Obviously that's going to kind of falter a little bit as the season goes on, but potentially his first, let's say 80 point season. Um, and, and worth noting too, that right now he leads the NHL, uh, in takeaways with seven, McDavid's right behind him with six, and the next highest leaf is Marner with three. Are we seeing another aspect to the Nylander game, and will he gain any more respect the way that he's playing heading into this season? My favorite part about the whole William Nylander debacle is the fact that every single time, and this goes back to the year when he signed his deal, every single time the haters come up with a new excuse to hate on him, he shits on it, shits all over it. Like, you know, obviously you would have had to be stupid to think that Nylander coming in to a season where he's, everyone else is in mid-season form and he's still kind of like shaking off the rust from training camp. You would have to be stupid to think that that would reflect what William Nylander would do for the rest of his career. So he obviously got that one out of the way early. And then the fans say he's got no consistency. Well, he has been the least only consistent offensive player dating back to the playoffs last year. And now, you know, you got all the fans saying he's got no heart. He won't ever throw a hit. He's shit defensively. Look what he's doing. He's, he's put on weight. He's, he's able to throw the body a little more, and they've got him on the penalty kill. At this point, the only other one that he has to shit on is the overpaid rhetoric, and I don't think that's going to happen unless he signs a league minimum deal. So, I mean, it's just we're seeing a different version of William Nylander breaking out here, and I truthfully – could not be more here for it. I love seeing what he's capable of. I was so stoked when they drafted him in 2014. And I think he deserves the respect to be included in the same conversation as Marner at the very least. Maybe Matthews is a little bit of a step above everyone else, but I think at the very least he should be in the same conversation as Marner. Yeah. Very deceptive shot. I always loved, you know, when his dad played back in the, back in the day there, I think he was one of the more underrated players of that time. Uh, I think, you know, the way Michael Nylander played the game, he was, he was kind of that, you know, broody kind of shit doesn't take shit from anybody kind of, kind of mentality. And, and you're starting to see a little bit more of that from Nylander. And he did start to play a little bit more of a physical game in the playoffs last year. We saw that uh, and it's kind of carried over to the, the start of this season. And yeah, I mean, I, I love it. 
you know, you kind of mentioned he's, he's taking a shit on every single, um, you know, bad thing that anybody's ever said about him. He, he's turned it around and made them eat that, their own words. So um, I, I'm excited for it. I think, you know, find, find where he's going to fit in, find where he's going to succeed and just stick him there and, and let him, let him do his thing because he, you know, every, every player is going to have a bad game. He has had consistently the best, He's consistently played the best hockey that we've seen in a Maple Leafs uniform in probably the last 10 to 15 Maple Leafs games, and that includes the playoffs. So um, I'm all for the Nylander train as well. Um, You know, Peter, you did mention er earlier in one of your other responses that this team is trying to find their identity. And one of the biggest things that we've noticed in these first three games is that they've come out slow. Um, They've come out, uh, given up the first goal and, and really not played overly well in that first period um the other night the game that alex was at they they opened up the scoring with the the wayne simmons goal um nice play by sandine down the boards throws out in front a little tip in in the five hole there is this maybe you know you kind of touched on a little bit but is this maybe the team finding that identity trying to trying to you know come out play the full 60 minutes and, and start hot rather than you know, sluggish to start the game, go down by one and, and, and try and fight back. Yeah. And this was something that we noticed quite a bit last year where they got off to a hot start and that you want to set the tone early off in the game, right? They, you don't want to go down like they were in game six where the shots were like 10, one and like the first 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden you got to like gain some momentum you want to set the tone. You want to get the puck. You want to go in. You want to establish a forecheck. You want to be known that, hey, we're going to come out and put our best foot forward no matter what, no matter what the situation is. And what do you like basically try to say, because they're like one of the top offensive teams in the league with the names that they have, they should bully teams around. It should be like, yeah, what are you going to do? So the fact that the, the fact that we noticed some slow starts early on, I th- think that this is going to be something that they're going to work on. And I th- I'm pretty sure Sheldon Keith probably told them this, um, maybe mentioned something about the playoffs and games last year after the 3 uh first period lead against the Ottawa Senators. And that I think maybe ignited a fire in them to try and get their footing back. Um, the third game, better start. You just need to see that consistency this is going to be a sticking point from here on out because even in the past, we've known the Maple Leafs to be a slow starting team. I think right now with Austin Matthews, I mean, the fact that they're able to play the way they played so far without Austin Matthews, to be honest, I think it's great. Others may not see it that way, but the fact that you're two and one without your star player and you had two tough games against the Ottawa Senators who are going to be a thorn in a lot of team size this year. Um, the fact that you're going to get him back soon, the fact that you have a new look roster, a new mentality, it's just fine having everyone gel together and then taking it from there. Once you get that, you can start seeing an increase in, you know, offensive production, an increase in zone time, an increase in possession. That to me is going to be major, a major key for them. Because if they have a slow start every single game from here on out, then you can rest assured that either Keith or Dubas is going to go down and probably say something to them because they know what's at stake this season. They know what happened. And 
you can rest assured that every single game is going to be their best from here on out. I think the first few games is a little bit of jitters, a little bit of nerves creeping in, especially with some of the new players. Once you're in that, I think you want to see a bit of, a, of an improvement in the 5-10 game mark and then take it from there. Alex, your thoughts on the slow starts uh, in the first two games and, and then bouncing back in game three? Yeah, I mean, I think the slow start, like Peter said, is obviously something you want to see improvement on by game five to ten. Um, you know, this team, the slow starts have been an issue for them, even going back to when Mike Babcock was head coach. And I, we've all said it before, you know, the, the Leafs just they, – they have a massive target on their foot. And they frequently shoot that target. And the slow starts are going to burn them down the stretch. And it's just, it's a matter of one of those things where you need to take control early on. And the Leafs have proven in the past that they're, they're, the, they're at their best when they take control early on. Obviously, you know, there are the anomalies like the game against Ottawa last year when they, when they got out in front early and then choked the lead away. But, you know, I look back at that game on Thursday and the fact that Ottawa was ahead three, nothing by the end of the first period. And it's just like, do you really want to be playing from behind every single game? Cause sure you can win a game like that every now and then, but that's not how you want to be relying on yourselves to win games every night. And it's just one of those things where when you look at contending teams like Tampa Bay, the Leafs want to play like those guys. And if they, if they want, sorry, the Leafs, obviously got to play like those guys. And if they want to, they got to recognize that these slow starts are something that can happen like once every five, 10 games, not something every other night. So I think they got to figure that issue out sooner rather than later. Well, boys, it was good to have both of you back. Uh, all of us, a full house for the podcast for episode 57. Matthews will be back tonight i should say tonight we're we're recording early early morning monday as the uh, new york rangers visit toronto and it's the first time the leafs will take on a an american team in in nearly two years so that'll be uh, amazing to to see i i think it was marner who said it's going to be great to hear two anthems going um so it'll be it'll be a fun fun time at uh, scotia bank arena uh before we close it out here Alex, anything that you're uh, you want our listeners to uh, kind of get get into and 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 you know read over at the hockey writers? Um, nothing right now. I mean, we talked about this for a couple of days ago, Forbes. You and I are going to be tag team in the, the the post games this year and the three takeaways pieces. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for those. It'll be either one of me or Forbes. I I did the latest one, obviously the game that I was at on Saturday night, and um, on top of that, I will tease. A slight piece, well, not a slight, I will slight, sorry, fucking got my wording all mixed up there. I will slightly tease a piece that I <laughs> am working on pending how tomorrow, or I guess today goes against the Rangers, um, about how the Leafs should look at a little bit of a revamped top six. So I'm not going to spoil who is in that top six, and I'm not going to spoil how that top six is arranged. I might not even write the article if he, if Keith somehow reads my mind and does it tomorrow, <laughs> but we'll see. So if Keith sticks to what he's got with Matthews coming back, um, then keep an eye out from uh, keep an eye out from an article. Keep an eye out for an article from me. Peter, anything uh, anything for you? Um, I mentioned that Lilligren article that I mentioned uh, that 
I'm I'm currently in the process of writing right now that he could be a possibility to replace Justin Hall. And again, it's only one game. I liked what I saw. Reserving my, obviously, I'm a little bit excited because I've been hoping for him to make it to this point. First round pick. Dealt with the uh, mono during his draft year. Four years developing into a solid two-way player. I think this is his time, and I think he's already established himself pushing Travis Dermott to, you know, the brink of earning a roster spot, and maybe he has something more set in sights, and I think Justin Ed and Hall could be another casualty because of Timothy Lilligren's, you know, confidence right now. So be on the lookout for that one. Well, boys, I've got the uh, the N- first NHL power rankings over at the Hockey Raiders coming out uh, later on this morning, uh, hopefully around 9, 10 o'clock. So definitely stay tuned. Uh, hopefully this podcast gets up later today, uh, prior day at puck drop with the Rangers. But uh, as always, guys, great shit. Um, the takeaways pieces are going to be fun. The Lilligren piece going to be fun. Can't wait to see more of him, hopefully with the Leafs. Uh, with that that's all we have for episode 57 of the podcast. As always, folks, thank you all again for joining us for episode 57. I should say 57. Uh, you can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. Uh, you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes, or you can follow Alex at Hobson a 16. Uh, follow the podcast at sticks in the six pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you download our podcast. Be sure to listen, download, and rate, review, and subscribe to our latest uh, latest shows here. Uh, check us out on YouTube as well as we continue to bring you great content, great guests, and a lot of fun shit. Uh, uh, not, not only with the hockey world, but always uh, a little pop culture in there as well, folks. So until next time, until next week, boys, always a great time.